This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Tonight, we have a visit from two old friends, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson. Now, in past shows, I've described the career of Basil Rathbone, so tonight I want to settle on Nigel Bruce, who portrays Dr. Watson. He typically played buffoonish, fuzzy-minded gentlemen, and during his film career, he worked in 78 films, including Treasure Island in 1934, The Charge of the Light Brigade in 36, and Suspicion in 1941. But hey, he appeared in two landmark films, Becky Sharp, 1935, the first feature film in full Technicolor, and in 1952, Buona Devil. <laughs> yeah, Buona Devil, the first 3D feature Bruce's career signature role, of course, was that of Dr. Watson in the 1939-1946 Sherlock Holmes film series, alongside his friend Basil Rathbone playing Holmes. Bruce starred as Watson in all 14 films of the series and over 200 radio programs of The New Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And although Watson often appears to be the older of the two main characters, Bruce was actually three years younger than Rathbone. Though... For most viewers, Nigel Bruce formed their version of Dr. Watson. Holmes purists have long objected that the Watson of the books was intelligent and capable, although not an outstanding detective, and that Bruce's portrayal made Watson intellectually dimmer and more bumbling than the literary figure. Rathbone, however, spoke highly of Bruce's portrayal, saying that Watson was one of the screen's most lovable characters. And tonight, we hear the episode... Island of Death. Cremel Hair Tonic and Cremel Shampoo present the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes, starring Nigel Bruce as Dr. Watson and Tom Conway as Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Well, once again, it's Monday night, and time to call on our good friend and host, Dr. Watson. I'm sure he's waiting for us in his study, so let's join him, shall we? Good evening, Dr. Watson. Ah, there you are, Mr. Bell. I was just having a glass of extremely mellow port. Perhaps you'd care to join me. Thank you, Dr. Watson. You're always the perfect host, just as you are the perfect storyteller. Ah, you flatter me, my boy, though I must confess that the ingredients which make up tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure are so strangely assorted that even an old gentleman like myself can hardly fail to make it an exciting yarn. And just what are the ingredients in tonight's story, Dr. Watson? Well, let me see. Take an almost deserted island set deep in a Scottish loch. Sprinkle it generously with the following assorted selections of humanity. One measure of evil scientist. A faint wisp of human skeleton. A considerable pinch of fat lady. A handful of professional contortionists. 
and a dash of midget. Agitate these ingredients well, then add to the mixture a detective by the name of Sherlock Holmes and a certain doctor by the name of Watson. <laughs> Season generously with fear, danger, and sudden death. And you have the recipe for the story I call The Island of Death. Dr. Watson, you're, you're beginning to make the hackles rise in the back of my neck. Indeed, then, since hackle means hair, I think perhaps you'd better have your word with our listeners before I begin with a story. Yes, I will. Men, if you want to be a success in life, if you want to look like a success in life, remember that well-groomed hair means a lot to a man's appearance. I've heard so many men complain lately that the hairdressing they use is too greasy or too highly perfumed, that it leaves a sticky and flaky residue on the hair. That's why I urge you to try Kreml hair tonic. This highly specialized hair tonic has just enough light oil to keep hair handsomely groomed, every hair in place, with a rich, healthy-looking luster. And it gives hair such a natural, well-groomed appearance. Yet Kreml never leaves hair looking or feeling greasy or sticky. This is because Kreml contains a special combination of hair grooming ingredients which is found in no other hair tonic. After you apply Kreml, just run your hand over your hair. Notice how delightfully clean your hair feels. So tempting for the ladies to touch. Notice how no greasy film comes off on your hand or hat stand. Kreml always gives hair such a handsome, clean-cut look, as if you just combed it. And it keeps it that way all day long. K-R-E-M-L, Kreml hair tonic. Now, Dr. Watson, how about the new Sherlock Holmes story, The Island of Death? Well, Mr. Bell, as I told you, most of that exciting adventure took place on a tiny island in the Scottish Lake District. However, it began innocuously enough, as so many of our adventures began, in our rooms at Baker Street. It was on a stormy September evening, and Holmes and I were seated on either side of our fireplace. I remember after dinner that he began to analyze the old cliché that truth is indeed stranger than fiction. I can almost hear him now as he said, My dear Watson, the true picture of the criminal world is stranger than anything which the mind of man could invent. Oh, I'm not sure that I agree with you, Holmes. The police reports and the papers are usually quite undistinguished and dull. True, old chap. But that's the fault of the reporters. Depend upon it, Watson, there's nothing so unnatural as the commonplace. Oh, let's put it to a practical test. I pick up the evening paper. Uh, here is the first heading upon which I come. A husband's cruelty to his wife. Now, there's... Uh, Half a column of print, and I bet you that without reading it, I can tell you the gist of the trouble. I accept your bet, Watson. Give me your deduction. Oh, it's not very hard. There is, of course, the other woman. The extra drink, the push, the blow, the bruise, and the sympathetic sister, all landlady. The crudest of writers could invent nothing more crude. <laughs> your example is an unfortunate one for your argument, old fellow. Very fortunate. The article to which you refer is the Dundas separation case. Hmm? The husband was a teetotaler. There was no other woman, and the conduct complained of was that he had drifted into the unfortunate habit of winding up every meal by taking out his false teeth and hurling them at his wife. An action which I think you will agree is uh, not likely to occur to the imagination of the average storyteller. Hurling false teeth? Oh, absolutely fantastic. Quite. What else could that be? You expecting a visitor? Yes, Watson, I am. And he might well prove a client who will point out the moral of our little discussion. Oh, what makes you say that? The gentleman calling on me is a distinctly colorful personality by the name of Stephen Singer. He's nearly seven feet tall, and yet he weighs under eight stone. A card from him this morning informed me of his intention of calling here at seven o'clock tonight. You said that he weighs under eight stone? That's only 130 pounds. He must be a human skeleton. That was the unfortunate title applied to him at the circus sideshow at which I first met him. 
Good Scott, circus freaks here in Baker Street. I'll have seen everything. Freak is an unkind and inappropriate word, Watson. Stephen Singer's a fellow human being, and a more than usually, unusually worthy one. In the case of the Bagshot Circus murders, he was good enough to take advantage of his uh, almost unique physical proportion and oblige me by hiding in the barrel of a circus cannon. His evidence was instrumental in sending a diabolical murderer to the gallows. Uh, let him in, will you, Watson? Yes, yeah, of course. Good evening, Mr. Singer. Come along in, won't you? That's all right. Thank you, Mrs. Hudson. It's good to see you again, Stephen. Hello, Mr. Holmes. Don't want to make a nuisance of myself, but I did have a little problem, and I thought perhaps you'd help me with it. Of course, Stephen. Sit down, won't you? By the way, this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, Doctor? How do you do, Mr. Singer? My friend was just telling me that you once held him, helped him in a, in a murder case. Oh, that. Dread nothing. Just slipped myself into the cannon barrel and heard one or two things I wasn't meant to. <laughs> Nevertheless, your help was invaluable, Stephen. I shall be only too happy to do what I can to repay the favor. What's your problem? Well, uh, perhaps I'm imagining things and perhaps I'm not. But wouldn't you say it was a rum thing if a professor offered me and three of my pals from the circus 50 quid apiece to go to some island in Scotland for a week? Yes, indeed. I should say that that's extremely odd. Can you give me a few more facts? Well, Mr. Holmes... This professor come to the circus three nights ago when we was playing at Stafford at a bow. Hmm. What was his name? Uh, professor McElwraith. Funny-looking cove with a bushy red beard he was. Indeed. I've heard of the gentleman. I understand that he is something of a rebel in the medical profession. He returned from Vienna recently where he's been studying under Dr. Freud. Dr. Freud? Never heard of him. You will, Watson, you will. Hmm? He devotes himself to the psychological aspects of the human body. Pray continue with your story, Stephen. Well, Mr. Holmes, he approached me and three of my pals. And uh, who are those uh, pals? Well, there was Bill Carew, the major we call him. He's a midget. And there was Belle Brackett, the fat lady. And the third was a bloke who joined the circus two days ago. Jeff Walney is his name. I haven't seen his act, but he builds himself as the injured rubber man. Uh, Professor promised us 50 quid apiece our tickets on the Scotch Express tomorrow morning and told us he'd have a boat waiting to ferry us out to his island when we got there. Holmes, there's something devilish going on here. Professor who studies psychology wants four people to go to a lonely island. A midget, a contortionist, a fat lady, and the fourth... Oh. Uh, that's all right. I'm used to it, Doctor. The force of human skeleton. Oh, I wouldn't say that. That's what you were going to say. And now we all agreed to go up there. Uh, we didn't like the bloke, but none of us can turn down 50 quid. But we got to talking after he'd gone. Supposing he's up to doing us a bit of no good. And anyway, he made us sign that paper. Paper? What paper? I don't remember it too well, Mr. Holmes, but it did say that if anything was to happen to us, the professor wasn't responsible. That's what started us to talking and worrying after he'd gone. And that's why I've come to you. I'm glad that you did, Stephen. Did you inform your friends of your decision to come to see me? See me? Uh, no, Mr. Holmes, I didn't. I might have done it if I'd have been sure you wouldn't have laughed at me. I'm convinced that this is no laughing matter, Stephen. Unless I'm much mistaken, there's devil's work afoot. And then you'll come up there with us, Mr. Holmes? Yes. Tomorrow morning, Dr. Watson and I will meet you in Scotland. <laughs> Looks extremely choppy, Holmes. The boat's quite small. I hope it's not too far to the island. 
I'm a wretched sailor, you know. I'm sure it'll be a smooth trip, Watson. Well, I certainly hope so. Hello? Here comes Singer with the other three. Great Scott. What strange-looking traveling companions. Well, since they traveled on an earlier train, I think it's time to have Stephen introduce us. Hello, Stephen. Hello, Mr. Holmes. I'd like you to meet some pals of mine. Uh, Dr. Watson, Mr. Holmes, this is Miss Bell Brackett. Watson! Uh, careful, Bell Watson, step on the gangplank. Well, dearie, got to be a strong plank to hold me up. How are you, Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson? How do you do? How do you do? Thank you. Uh, this is Bert Mister Mr. Holmes, Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? Don't know what you do on the bill, Governors, but I can kick the back of my head with both feet at once. Oh, really? Very useful, I should imagine. Providing you're not standing up. What's your act, gentlemen? Act? Well, we haven't exactly got an act. Just regard us as friends of Stevens. We thought a little trip to the Highlands might do us good. Huh. It'll do me 50 pounds worth of good. That's all I know. Put 50 more pounds on me, dearie, and I'd explode those. And this is Bill Carew, the major, we call him. And Dr. Watson, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. How do you do, Good evening, gentlemen. I do hope this isn't going to be a long journey. I'm really rather a poor sailor. Well, I just did the same thing myself, Mr. Carew. Oh, call me Major. Everyone calls me Major. I suppose it's incongruous when you consider that I'm only four foot three, but I do like, like the nickname. Have a cigar. Cigar? Oh, no, thank you, Well, Major. we're all aboard, Mr. Holmes. Might as well get going, I suppose. Why not, Stephen? All right, Captain. We're all here. You may as well get started. Dr. Watson. Uh... Yes, Mr. Alden? Do me a favor, will you? Give us a scratch between the shoulder blades. Give you what? A scratch between the shoulder blades. Oh, that's it. As soon as we cross the border, these Scots please started to bite on me. Thank you kindly. Starlit night, Watson, and the spanking breeze. I wonder what adventure lies in store for us. I have a feeling that Professor McElrath may not be too glad to see us. Come here, Holmes. I know who you are and what you do. Why are you so interested in my obscure experiments? For two reasons, Professor McElrath. First, Stephen Singer is a friend of mine, and second, I have an insatiable curiosity, particularly for experiments that require obscurity. I want to know why a student of psychology wishes to isolate four malformed humans on a lonely island. All right, stay. Stay into the devil with your boat. You can't leave this island until I give the word, my inquisitive friends. Quiet! Quiet! Four of you and my employees for the next few days. Two of you, Sherlock Holmes and Dr. Watson, are uninvited guests. Professional meddlers, as they assured me. And I've no reason to doubt that assurance. Holmes, <laughs> the man's as mad as a hatter. Quiet, Watson. Uh, since you're all to be on my island during my experiments... I should like you to study this map and acquaint yourself with the place. Here you'll see are the guest houses, all interconnected by telephones. And I've installed the very latest form of that admirable new device. Now, down this path lies the snake house. Snakes? I can't bear snakes! It may not be necessary for you to meet them, Miss Brackett. Of course, I do use them in my experiments. Oh! Now, this path over here leads to the haunted watchtower. An interesting edifice, as you will discover. Seven enemies of James the Sixth met a most peculiar death there. 
<laughs> You'll find that they continue to meet that death quite regularly. Look here, Professor. I don't like the sound of this. Nor do I. You tell us what these experiments are that you keep talking about. With pleasure. I've long known that the malformation of the body, of uh, freaks, if you'll forgive the expression, is caused by glandular deficiencies and imbalances. My studies have convinced me that these same glandular defects produce psychological alterations. For instance, you, Miss Barkett, weigh four times as much as you, Mr. Singer. It'll be interesting to see how differently each of you reacts to the same stimuli. What do you think we are? Guinea pigs? You talk of applying different stimuli to these people, Professor McElwraith. What kind of stimuli do you intend to apply, may I ask? Every stimulus that the many resources of this island will enable me to apply. Fear, hunger, desire, envy, hatred. This should prove most illuminating. Most illuminating. I won't stand for it. We're human beings, not a bunch of animals. That's right. Let's go out. Larry, you're right, Belle. Of course he is. The bloke's barmy. Let's get on the boat and go back. I quite agree with you, sir. You're absolutely inhuman, Professor. Mind your own business, you meddling fool. I paid these people to come here, and they're good to stay. You and your friend are more than welcome to leave, however. No, Professor. I shall make myself personally responsible for seeing that these good people return to the mainland tonight. That's right, that's right. Indeed. Then you must be an extremely strong swimmer, Mr. Holmes. What do you mean? The boat left this island an hour ago. It will not return for five days. You fools. You grotesque idiots. You're trapped. So go to your quarters, all of you. Go on. And don't be surprised if I begin my experiments before the night is over. Well, Holmes, if we are marooned on an island with a madman and four members of a circus, I suppose we might as well make the best of it. Oh, yeah. I think I'll turn in. What the devil's that? The telephone. Wretched instrument. It's just a passing fad. I'll never catch on. You mark my words. Yes, what is it? Mr. Holmes. Are you in your cottage? Since I'm obviously at the other end of this wire, yes. Dr. Watson, is he with you? Yes. Why? I'm worried, Holmes. A few moments ago, I caught the glimpse of a figure standing near my library window. I'm speaking from there now. I thought it might be you or Dr. Watson. But if it isn't, I'm afraid... And well, you might be, if only of your own conscience. I'm afraid of the freaks. They're so angry. They might will... I'd hardly blame them. If you're frightened for your safety, the best thing to do is to let us all leave here at once. Are you sure it's impossible to summon the boat before five days are gone? Well, no, I did lie about that. I could give a signal in the morning by hoisting a flag on the watchtower. Just a moment. That was a stone dust against my window. I'll be back, Holmes. Don't hang up. What does that devil want, Holmes? Sounds distinctly subdued. He's frightened, Watson. He says there's someone lurking outside his window. Holmes! Are you still there? Yes, Professor. What's wrong? That, that figure just standing in the shadows. I can see it from where I'm talking. I can't see the face, but it's... Holmes! It's raising its arm! It's got it! Oh. I'm afraid it's murder, Watson. Quick, we must get over to the big house as fast as we can. Well, Dr. Watson, when you got over to the big house, did you find Professor McElwraith was dead? Yes, Mr. Bell. A quick examination of his crumpled body told me that he was beyond mortal aid. 
Holmes lost no time in examining that room of death. This crime isn't very hard to reconstruct, Watson. The dead man was standing here as he spoke his last words to me on this telephone. Yes, and the window is beside the instrument. The glass in one pane is shattered. Yes, at a height of approximately five feet. Now, the professor was shot in the temple. He was about six feet tall. The line from his wound through the broken pane would indicate that the killer stood out there in the rose garden. Watch up, Mr. Holmes. Yes, we heard a shot. Anyone get a theory? Yes, I'm afraid they did. Professor McElrath has just been murdered. Murdered? Well, can't say I'm sorry. Perhaps not, Major. But the fact remains that his killer must be brought to justice. By the way, only three of you are here. Yes, where's Bert Alner, the contortionist? I don't know. He went straight to his cottage when we got back from the big house. That's the last I saw of him. You know, it's a funny thing. I was only half awake, Mr. Holmes, but I thought I heard two shots, about five minutes apart. Two shots? And Bert Alner has not appeared? We must go over to his cottage at once. Oh. oh, poor Bert. Is he hurt bad, Dr. Watson? No, a flesh wound in the back. He was lucky. Curious. Observe the revolver lying on the floor beside him. The same caliber as the one used to kill the professor. Ah, see what Bert's done, Mr. Holmes. He killed the professor to save us all. That's right, Stephen. And then he tried to kill himself because he knew you'd catch him, Mr. Holmes. That's the way it must have been. Oh, he was a brave man. An interesting theory. Yes, but only a theory. Look at the position of the wound. I'll stake my medical reputation that it couldn't possibly have been self-inflicted. Holmes, this has been an attempt at another murder. <laughs> More coffee, Watson? No, thank you, Holmes. I've drunk a blasted gallon and I'm still sleepy. And I've smoked almost the entire <sighs> supply of tobacco I brought on this trip, and I'm still very wide awake. I asked questions until well after midnight. And what did I learn? That the servants all alibi each other. Precisely. And... and that of our party of four, no one is able to provide an alibi for the other. So that it must be one of them. As ill-assorted a group of suspects as we ever met. Yes. It's a strange business. Why the attack on Olney? The professor, yes, that's quite understandable. But why Olney? What singled him out from the others? Oh, I don't know. He's a contortionist, but he's perfectly normal-looking. He, he doesn't seem like a freak. Of course. That's it. Thank you, Watson. You've given me the other end of the thread. Oh, have I? Round up the others and bring them to the haunted tower. Dawn is beginning to break, but before we hang that signal for rescue, I shall find the answer to this bizarre problem. Before we fix this signal flag, ladies and gentlemen, I wish to warn you that as soon as we reach land, I shall turn Professor McElwraith's murderer over to the authorities. Let it go, Mr. Holmes. Whoever it was did us all a good turn. Let's forget it. I'm afraid that murder is not a matter to be forgotten, Major. But surely you haven't forgotten the attempt on your own life, Mr. Alner. I feel nearly as good as new, Governor. I think the Major's right. Let's forget it. No, Mr. Alney. Not even on your request. Because the whole case centers around you. Oh, me? Last night, while the murderer was standing outside his window, the professor telephoned me. He wanted to know if both Dr. Watson and I were in our cottage. 
The implication is obvious. You mean that the mysterious figure he'd seen resembled us in Bill? Precisely, Watson. Now, Mr. Singer's nearly seven feet tall. You, Miss Brackett, if you'll forgive me, could hardly be mistaken for us. You said it, dear. Well, no, because the Major, he told us that he's only four foot three. It must have been you, Mr. Holner. But I got shot, too. And you said when you examined me that it was impossible. I could have done it. Medically impossible for a normal man, but I'd forgotten your profession. You're a contortionist. You could easily have shot yourself at, at, at such an angle. What do you have to say, Mr. Olney? That I, uh... Why not admit the truth? You're not a contortionist, are you? No, Mr. Holmes, I'm not. You see, my, my twin brother got the bit for this here job, but he had another engagement. And since the professor was so particular about the date, my brother told me to come here and we'd split the fee. But how did you know that he wasn't a contortionist, Holmes? You should remember, Watson. Huh? When we first saw him on the boat, he complained of the Scottish fleas and asked you to scratch between his shoulders. Oh, a real contortionist would not have needed your assistance. So your medical verdict still holds good, Watson. Olney could not have shot himself. But you've ruled the rest of us out, Mr. Holmes. Not quite, Stephen. The simplest answer is that the mysterious figure that the professor described was disguised. Disguised? That theory would be confirmed by the fact that the killer, when he was in the garden, saw the professor standing at the telephone and deliberately attracted his attention by throwing a pebble at the window. Look here, Mr. Holmes. The sun's well up. I'm tired of all this theory stuff. I'm going to hang the flag on the tower. Very well, Major. But, Mr. Holmes, don't keep us on edge like this. Yes, dearie. You said someone disguised themselves. Now, who was it? Well, surely the answer's apparent. Not to me, it ain't. Could you, Miss Brackett, have reduced your excessive weight to appear the size of a normal man? No. Nor could you, Stephen, have decreased your excessive height. But the Major could have made himself appear taller with improvised stilts. And the Major's the only possibly guilty party. The Major? Blimey, it's hard to believe he'd done it. Well, even if he did, I still don't think we ought to turn him in, Mr. Holmes. Oh, no. Remember, he did it for us, dearie. Well, he didn't really hurt me when he took that shot at me. Well, that's just it, Arnie. I might have been tempted if it were only the professor's murder. But he deliberately tried not to murder you, Mr. Olney, but to make it appear that you had killed the professor. But if he's arrested, there'll be a trial, dearie. And if there's a trial, you know how it'll be. They'll make out it was all because he's a freak. It'll be it'll be harder than ever for people to accept us just as, uh, as people. Bell's right, Mr. Holmes. It'd be bad for all of us. I think the Major has thought of that possibility. Look at him up there on the tower. He's hoisted the flag. Oh, he, now he's teetering on, on the edge of the parapet. He's going to... Major! Major! Blimey, he jumped. Must be a couple of hundred feet down there. He doesn't have a chance. Ah, oh, the poor Major. He done it for us. Come on, Belle. Oh, I'll take you back to the cottage. I suggest we all return to our quarters and pack. This unhappy tragedy has reached its final conclusion. What a shocking business. You're right, Dr. Watson. When I came to you in Baker Street, I never dreamed it would end up like this. But one thing I'd like to say, Mr. Holmes. Yes, Stephen? I, I want to thank you, uh, not just for solving the case, but because you treated all of us not as freaks, but as ordinary human beings. Makes a big difference, you know. I know of only one way to treat people, Stephen. And that is as each person deserves to be treated. If Professor McElwraith had only realized that truth, he would not have paid with his life. Now, Dr. Watson, what about next week? Well, I'll never see it next week. Well, now, next week, I think I'll 
tell you uh, about another of our encounters with the infamous Professor Moriarty, and how Holmes deduced that an apparently unimportant robbery in a Sussex vicarage was in reality part of a plot that threatened the safety of all England. I call it the strange adventure of the pointless robbery. Tonight's new Sherlock Holmes adventure was suggested by an incident in Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's story, A Case of Identity. Nigel Bruce appeared through the courtesy of California Pictures. Tom Conway through the permission of Eagle Lion Pictures. The Sherlock Holmes series is produced by Tom McKnight, with original music composed and conducted by Alex Steinert. This is Joseph Bell speaking for Kremel Hair Tonic and Kremel Shampoo, and inviting you to be with us next week at this same time, when Dr. Watson will tell us about the strange adventure of the pointless robbery. Stay tuned for Our Miss Brooks next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Eve Arden as Our Miss Brooks. Our Miss Brooks, transcribed and starring Eve Arden. It's time once again for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks under the direction of Al Lewis. Well, many people enjoy the brisk, snappy weather of the winter season. But our Miss Brooks, who teaches English at Madison High School, is definitely anti-cold. In fact, at the last count, she was sleeping beneath 11 woolen blankets. I kept warm enough that way, but it posed quite a problem for my landlady. Yesterday, when she came in to wake me up, she couldn't find me. We solved that, though. Now when I go to bed, I slip a bookmark under the bottom blanket. (laughs) Last Friday at breakfast, I was complaining to Mrs. Davis about the temperature in the house. Now take this, dear. A nice steaming cup of coffee will warm you up in no time. Is it really hot? Piping hot. Here's your cup. Never mind the cup. Just pour it over me. (laughs) Look, Mrs. Davis, the days aren't so bad, but last night at 11.30, my room was absolutely freezing. You could hang meat in there. Connie, wouldn't that mess up the wallpaper? (laughs) Besides, 11.30 seems awfully late for you to be up, Connie. You'd be a lot warmer if you got to bed earlier. I would have, but I had to finish some extra typing for Mr. Conklin. Our beloved principal has never been able to keep a secretary, you know. I know. I think it's a shame the way he takes advantage of you. This isn't school business he gives you, is it? No, mostly personal correspondence, reports and things. And what does Mr. Conklin give you for this work? An occasional curt nod. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if I were you, I'd refuse to do any more for him. In fact, when you bring him this batch today, you ought to put your foot down. I tried putting my foot down before, Mrs. Davis, but it just didn't work. Why? What did Mr. Conklin do? He stepped on it. (laughs) 
Good morning, Mr. Conklin. I brought in those papers you had me type last night. Just put them on my desk, please. Hmm? What did you say? Perhaps you'd hear better if you'd remove those ridiculous earmuffs. What? Oh, these earmuffs. They must have slipped down again. It's terribly chilly in school this morning, Mr. Conklin. Nonsense. It's just pleasantly brisk. Now, about these papers... Why, Miss Brooks, you're familiar with the rules of this institution. Why are you smoking in school? I'm not smoking. That's my breath. (laughs) Your breath? Yes, condensing in the pleasantly brisk air. (laughs) Mr. Conklin, are you sure there's enough coal in the furnace this morning? Well, of course. The janitor has been authorized to burn 37 lumps before noon. But, sir, this is going to be an exceptionally cold day, and 37 lumps of coal just won't get the job done. Uh, perhaps you're right. I'll contact the furnace room handman phone, please. Here you are, sir. Osgood Conklin to maintenance. Osgood Conklin to maintenance. Fire lumps 38 and 39. <laughs> Fire lumps 38 and 39. That is all. (laughs) Ah, that should do it. Now, let's see those papers. Here they are, Mr. Conklin. I stayed up until 11.30 last night, so I'd have them finished for you. Well, I'm not unmindful of your labors in my behalf, and I want you to know that your efforts will not go unrewarded. In fact, because of your fine spirit of cooperation, I have selected you as the one who will be permitted to type up my new report to the Board of Education. I'm sorry, Mr. Conklin, but teaching English is a full-time job for me, and I just can't assume any extra duties. But somebody's got to do it. Miss Enright just turned me down, too. As a matter of fact, she's the one who suggested you for this honor. Oh, she did, did she? Well, let Uh, me tell you... You shouldn't speak harshly of your fellow English teacher, Miss Brooks. After all, Miss Enright is quite fond of you. Fond of me? Oh, she must be to pass such a nice compliment about you this morning. She said she considered you one of her oldest friends. She did? (laughs) And then she said she likes you as well as some of her younger friends. (laughs) Well, I can't force you to perform this trifling task for me, so you might as well run along to your classroom. Yes, sir, but as far as Miss Enright is concerned, I would like to... You're speaking of a teacher who may soon be head of the English department. What? The position is still open, you know, and for months now I've been grooming Miss Enright. Good. That should make her coat nice and shiny. (laughs) Are you inferring that Miss Enright is a horse? If the shoe fits, nail it on her. Pardon me, Mr. Boynton, but I've got a free period right now, and as I recall, so have you. Oh, that's right, Miss Brooks. Is there anything I can do for you? I'd love to. That is, uh... <laughs> The real reason I dropped in here was to get away from my own classroom for a while. Sometimes I wonder if all this effort is worth anything. If I couldn't expend all this time and energy in another direction. Say, making a pleasant home for some man the way any normal woman does. Well, you're certainly normal, Miss Brooks. Your muscular structure's good. You have a well-shaped skull. (laughs) Good sound bones. And judging from your complexion, I should say your systolic circulatory system is A1. (laughs) 
romantic fool, you. <laughs> I wish I felt as well as your description, though. I've got a little headache from all the paperwork I've been doing. A headache? Would you like me to massage your temples a bit? That's the quickest you've ever caught on. <laughs> Please do, Mr. Boynton. All right. How does this feel? Just wonderful, Mr. Boynton. Nobody but us guinea pigs. <laughs> well, it's Miss Enright. Miss Brooks has a little headache. I'm just massaging her temples. Oh, how humane of you. <laughs> <laughs> there you go with your jokes, Miss Enright. <laughs> You're just loads of fun. Don't you think so, Miss Brooks? She's the biggest load I've ever seen. <laughs> I didn't expect to find you here. I just dropped in because I'm worn out from my morning classes. Sometimes I just don't know where I get the fuel to keep running. You didn't race your engine so much, your tank wouldn't get so low. <laughs> That's a good one, too. You girls have a lot of fun with each other, don't you? <laughs> Yes, we do enjoy our little fencing matches, when we're not too tuckered out from our work, that is. Oh, that English class of mine. Well, I must say, I don't know what's come over you women of today. You just don't seem to have the vitality and drive of our forebears. Now, take my Aunt Maddie, for example. She taught English, but she also taught mathematics, history, science, and Latin. Five subjects? Certainly. And then she'd go home and keep house for her husband and nine children. Nine children? What did she teach, night school? <laughs> you, you can jest if you want to But if I found a woman like my Aunt Maddie a, a woman who held the secret to diversified interests I'd marry her tomorrow If you'll excuse me now I've got a million papers to correct <laughs> And I'd better be running along too I've got to empty several wastebaskets hey, uh, but, but ladies, Goodbye, I... Goodbye, Mr. Boynton See you later, nephew <laughs> What is it you wanted to see me about, Miss Brooks? It's my work here at school, Mr. Conklin. I was wondering if you could give me another subject or two to teach. Miss Brooks, have you been sniffing too much eraser dust? <laughs> no, sir. It's just that I'd like to diversify my interests. Another class would be a labor of love. Pardon me, Mr. Conklin. Oh, uh, hello, Miss Enright. Oh, Miss Brooks. What happened to those millions of papers you had to mark? I threw them in those wastebaskets you had to empty. <laughs> I'm uh, rather busy this morning, Miss Enright. What's on your mind? Well, Mr. Conklin, I've been thinking about my schedule here, and I've come to the conclusion that I could take on another subject. You too? But not two hours ago, you both complained about how rigorous your duties were. That was B.A.M., Mr. Conklin, before Aunt Mattie. You might consider it strange, sir, but On I... the contrary, and it's an extremely fortuitous coincidence. I was planning to institute a course in business administration at Madison. My big problem, however, has been instructors. There are none available in this area. Uh, there are now. I mean, there is now. I'll take a shot at it. Yes, sir. You bet. Sure thing. <laughs> Not so fast, darling. Mr. 
Mr. Conklin, if you're interested in a business administration course, I'd like to point out that I've got a terrific background. That you don't have to point out. (laughs) Maybe you ought to sell your bicycle. Tell me about your experience, Ms. Enright. Well, before I came to Madison High as an English teacher, I assisted Papa in his business. Papa was the head of a big collection agency at the time. I assisted my Papa, too, Miss Enright. What did he do? He spent most of his time hiding from your Papa. <laughs> Please, Mr. Conklin, I'll admit I'm not overly familiar with the principles of business administration, but I'll study it thoroughly in the next few days. Miss Brooks, business administration is a three-year course. How do you propose to learn it in a few short days? I'll only take a half hour for lunch. (laughs) I'm afraid you have none of the qualifications for this position, Miss Brooks. Once again, it looks like Miss Enright has the inside track. Well, all I can say is don't bet too much on her nose. It might still be a photo finish. Colgate, Colgate Dental Cream, it cleans your breath. Water toothpaste. While it cleans your teeth. Colgate toothpaste. Cleans your breath. Water toothpaste. While it cleans your teeth. Colgate Dental Cream cleans your breath while it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Yes, the Colgate way is the most thoroughly proved and accepted home method of oral hygiene known today. Over two years' research showed brushing teeth right after eating with Colgate Dental Cream helps stop more decay for more people than ever before reported in dentifrice history. The Colgate way stopped tooth decay best. No other dentifrice, ammoniated or not, offers such conclusive proof. And you should know that Colgate's, while not mentioned by name, was the only toothpaste used in the research on tooth decay recently reported in Reader's Digest. So always follow the Colgate way to clean your breath while you clean your teeth. And stop tooth decay best. Brush your teeth with Colgate. Colgate Dental Cream. It cleans your breath. Water toothpaste. While it cleans your teeth. And the Colgate way stops tooth decay best. Well, Mr. Conklin seemed convinced that I didn't know a thing about business administration, and it looked like he was right. I had just about given up on the biggest deal of my life, 200 pounds of prime biology teacher. (laughs) When lunch period came, I must have looked pretty down in the mouth as I entered the school cafeteria. Get it up, Miss Brooks. Your chin is sweeping the floor. (laughs) Oh, hello, Walter. I do feel a bit grim today. Well, suppose you sit down over here and tell our favorite pupil all about it. That is, unless you're waiting for Mr. Boynton. No, he had to go down to the biology supply house. They're having a sale on used guinea pigs or something. (laughs) It shouldn't make you this depressed. Gosh, you look like you're just about to bawl. What's the cause of it? Well, I spent about ten minutes in Mr. Conklin's office this morning. Say no more. Here's my hanky. Mr. Conklin's 
the best cure I know for anybody who's got a slight case of cheerfulness. Not so loud, Walter. His daughter's about to join us. Hello, Miss Brooks. Walter. Hello, Harriet. We were just chatting about your daddy. Yeah. Why isn't the old... Why isn't he in the cafeteria today? I brought a sandwich to his office. He's calling the various oil companies to see if he can't beat the price raise. It seems fuel oil for our furnace at home has gone up three cents a gallon. Daddy has a big problem with oil every winter. We have a big problem with Daddy every winter. <laughs> you probably don't know anything about this, Harriet, but I've been hoping your father would appoint me as instructor in business administration. He did mention something about the course, Miss Brooks, but he hasn't said who's going to teach it, so you might as well keep hoping. I'm going to get myself some dessert. Can I bring you something, Miss Brooks? No, thanks, dear. I'm pretty full. I've been biting my lips all morning. <laughs> Could always be worse. See you later, Walter. Okay, pigeon. Now then, Miss Brooks, give me your undivided attention. You've got it, Walter. While you and Harriet were yakking it up, I was thinking, if Mr. Conklin could get the oil he wants for his furnace not only three cents cheaper, but nine cents below the current price, and if this transaction was put over by you, he'd consider that you had a pretty good business head on your shoulders. Well, I guess he would Instead of thinking what he thinks now that it's just a bunch of pretty auburn hair clinging to a vacant bulb. (laughs) Now, just a minute, Walter. Please, I'm not finished. It so happens that my dad has a good pal in the Ajax Oil Company, and we get all our fuel wholesale. Now, there's no reason why I can't get some for you to give to Mr. Conklin, thus helping you wrap up the job you want. Walter, I'd like to take this opportunity to apologize here and now for everything I've ever thought about you. This is a great idea. Thank you. Uh, We'll get the oil to Mr. Conklin's home right after school. But there's one question I'd like to ask you, Miss Brooks. Why are you so anxious to take on the added duties of another course? I can answer that in two simple words, Walter. Philip Boynton. Glad you got home from school early today, Daddy. But why did we come down here to the basement? I wanted to show you our new furnace, Harriet. It was installed just ten minutes ago. But what's this pink ribbon tied on it for? And what's this card on top of it? It's a little surprise for your mother. Read the card, Harriet. Let's see. It says, To my loving wife, Martha. Happy Lincoln's birthday, darling. From your Osgood. You bought Mother a furnace for Lincoln's birthday? Nothing's too good for your mother, Harriet. (laughs) Besides, it's my way of making up for Christmas. I got the feeling that your mother was not too delighted with the gift she received from me at that time. I can't understand it. It was a lovely case of club soda. (laughs) Daddy, mother was expecting a fur coat this winter. Then she should be doubly pleased. A furnace is even warmer than a fur coat. Especially this brand new forced air furnace. It uses gas and a blower system, and all it requires is for me to flip open a vent and presto, any room I'm in is full of hot air. (laughs) No comment, Daddy. Shh! Quiet, 
with that oil drum, Walter. I don't want Mr. Conklin to know we're in his basement. Well, I still don't see why we didn't just roll the drum up to his front door. Because I want to surprise him. We'll pour the oil right into the furnace. Then, when he can't understand how he's getting heat without having bought any oil, I'll flash this bill from the Ajax company showing that I've beaten the current price by nine cents. I get it. And then when Mr. Conklin reacts according to plan, he'll put you in charge of the business administration course. Mr. Boynton will admire your energy and diversified talents. And before you know it, you'll be married and have nine children like his Aunt Maddie. Walter, have you been drinking this oil? Miss Enright, you're coming to my home on your own time to discuss our new business administration course has made quite an impression on me. Thank you, Mr. Conklin. But I've always been a firm believer in the old adage, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. My sentiments exactly. Now, if you'll just give me your coat, we'll sit down in the living room and chat for a while. Oh, I think I'll keep my coat on, Mr. Conklin. I feel a bit chilly. As you wish. Mrs. Conklin is out shopping at the moment, but when she comes back, she'll fix a bit of tea for us. I can't wait to see her face when she discovers her gift. Oh? What did you buy for Mrs. Conklin? In honor of Lincoln's birthday, I bought her a brand new furnace. <laughs> I haven't used it as yet, but I think I'll turn it on right now. Yeah, oh, oh, excuse me, Miss Enright. I'll see who's at the door. Oh, oh, it's you, Miss Broke. Yes, sir. I came by to discuss that new teaching job. But I've just about decided on Miss Enright for that position, Miss Broke. Please, sir, what I have to tell you may change that decision. I'll just take a few moments of your time. Uh, very well, then. Come in. Come in. Now, uh, please be brief, Miss Brooks. Miss Enright and I have many matters to discuss. Yes, sir. Oh, hello, Miss Enright. Hello, Miss Brooks. Did you come by to show me what a good loser you are? I'll deal with you when you slither into school tomorrow. <laughs> right now, I've got some business with Mr. Conklin. You see, sir, I've always been a firm believer in the old adage, don't put off until tomorrow what you can do today. A salty cliché, if I ever heard one. <laughs> Please come to the point. Yes, sir. Mr. Conklin, what would you say if I told you that I was going to put $8.95 into your pocket this minute? I'd say sit down, Miss Brooks. <laughs> Mr. Conklin, I'm going to put $8.95 into your pocket this minute Sit down, Miss Brooks Thank you <laughs> Now, in this transaction Pardon me, but isn't it awfully chilly in here? For once, we're on the same side It might be a very jolly thought to turn on your furnace, Mr. Conklin And burn some nice, cheap oil I don't have any oil in my furnace However, if you ladies are cold, I should be happy Excuse to... me, Daddy, but I've got to talk to Miss Brooks privately right away Will you kindly step out into the hall with me, Miss Brooks? Harriet, you know my house rules about disturbing adult conversations? It's terribly personal, Daddy, and it'll just take a second. Sounds important, Harriet. I'll be right back, Mr. Conklin. Meanwhile, I'm sure Miss Enright can regale you with some brilliant yakety yak. It's happened, Miss Brooks. Daddy's done the worst possible thing that could happen. He signed on for another year at Madison High? <laughs> <laughs> No, he bought Mother a furnace for a Lincoln's birthday gift. He must have gotten his rebate on the club soda bottle. <laughs> you don't understand. I just saw Walter Denton in the basement. He was washing his hands in the sink down there. Sounds like a reasonable place. <laughs> he told me you put oil in the furnace. That's right, to surprise your father. 
You'll surprise him, all right. He bought a gas-operated forced air furnace. <laughs> what? Oh, this is terrible. We've got to work fast, Harriet. You run down to the basement and tell Walter to get some tubing and siphon that oil out of the furnace at once. Okay, Miss Brooks. And you go on in and keep Daddy's mind occupied so he doesn't turn it on until I come back with the all clear. All right, Harriet. Now, for heaven's sakes, hurry. I'm dashing this minute. Good luck, Miss Brooks. I'll need it. Well, Miss Brooks, has my daughter concluded her personal business with you? Yes, sir. It was nothing, really. Uh, now then, about this business transaction of yours. Boy, uh, it's sure hot in here. <laughs> hot? I'm terribly warm. Do your lips always turn blue when you're warm? <laughs> I'm still shivering, Mr. Conklin. Well, I've got high blood pressure, so I'm usually warmer than the average person, but I'll turn the heat up if you want me to, Miss Enright. No! <laughs> Turn on the heat. Too much heat isn't... Isn't... (laughs) Healthy. Bless you, darling. I must have sat in a hot draft. (laughs) Now, about the $8.95 I saved you, Mr. Conklin... Oh, excuse me one moment. I'm going to see if my new thermostat is accurate. I want everything to be just right when Mrs. Conklin comes home. First, I'll open the large vent in this wall... Now, we'll just set this thermostat for 76 degrees. That should get the furnace going rather quickly. Oh, it can't warm up quickly enough for me. It can for me. Excuse me, Mr. Conklin. Uh, Where are you going, Miss Brooks? Into the coat closet. I have a roll of film that needs developing. (laughs) Oh, stop that idiotic jabber, and let's get down to cases now. Perhaps we should set the thermostat up to 80 or so, then the furnace will really get going. Here, I'll do it. But, Miss Enright, I... It's all right, it's all right, Miss Brooks. I want to see how the new furnace reacts. Here, I'll turn it up to 85 degrees. (laughs) Ah, yeah, now now it's starting. Listen to the lovely sound of that nice hot air scurrying up the pipe. Yeah, I turn it off. Turn... Oh. <laughs> oh, my suit. Oh, my dress. Oh, my neck. <laughs> what happened to my brand new furnace? This entire room is full of oil. What do we do? Well, we could toss a giant salad. <laughs> But I guess the only practical suggestion is to clean it up. Something must have gone wrong when I... Holy cow! What are you people doing in here? Rehearsing for a minstrel show? (laughs) You guessed it, Walter. And I don't know about anybody else, but if the interlocutor will excuse me, I, for one, am going to pick up my tambourine and beat it. Just a moment. But first, men, does your face do a slow burn every time you shave? Then it's time you heard the good news about smoother, more comfortable shaves, the Palm Olive Shaving Cream Way. That's right, smoother, more comfortable shaves. And men, only Palm Olive, no other shaving cream, offers you real proof, not just promises, of smoother, more comfortable shaves. 
For the new Palmolive Shaving Cream Way gets beards really soft, and it provides a protective film that actually floats your razor's cutting edge. Yes, even in cold or hard water, you get a clean, close shave every time. Super smooth, super comfortable. Over 2,500 men tested Palmolive Shaving Creams thoroughly. They followed the simple directions on the tube, and no matter how they shaved before, three out of four reported beards easier to cut, less razor pull, more comfortable, actually smoother shaves. Get Palmolive Shaving Cream lather or brushless. See if you don't get that super smooth, super comfortable, free and easy shave you've always wanted. You owe it to your face to try Palmolive lather or brushless. Remember, only Palmolive, no other shaving cream, offers you proof of smoother, more comfortable shaves. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, Walter Denton was just about to spill the beans to Mr. Conklin about my part in the great oil scandal, when luckily I managed to catch his eye. And through some magical current that seemed to flow between us, his lips were suddenly sealed. Then I took my knuckles out of his mouth, and we cleaned up the <laughs> After that, Walter took me home, and when we got to the door, he said, Gosh, Miss Brooks, do you think you may still get a crack at that business administration course? I don't know about the business, business administration, Walter, but if he finds out about today, it's a cinch. We'll both get the business. This is Burns Smith reminding you to tune in next week to another Our Miss Brooks show brought to you by Palmolive Shave Cream for a smoother, more comfortable way to shave and Colgate Dental Cream to clean your breath while you clean your teeth and help stop tooth decay. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written by Al Lewis, with the music of Wilbur Hatch. Be sure to listen to Mr. and Mrs. North every Tuesday night on this same station and be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Bob Lamont speaking. This program was transcribed. Stay tuned now for Jack Benny. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Nero Wolf, followed by My Friend Irma. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.